if you do that, you also make the partners feel part of your overall strategy, right? Because they are. <laughs> and this is literally placing the partner as as in the center of your strategy uh, and partnerships in the center of your strategy. It's not just like a go-to-market uh, strategy from a sales and marketing perspective, but also, and sometimes people forget about this, the product side of things, which I think partnerships have a saying on this, how the product evolves. And having partnerships in the core of the product evolution I think that's uh, that's a, a very sweet spot to be in. Welcome to Business Biome, the podcast that explores the interconnected world of business ecosystems, co-innovation and new forms of collaboration to jointly solve problems too complex to solve alone. My name is Nicholas and together with my guests, I dive deep into these fascinating concepts where corporates, startups, entrepreneurs and even individuals interact, collaborate and thrive together. We will uncover the secrets behind successful partnerships, explore the evolving dynamics of co-innovation and discover how businesses can harness the power of collective intelligence. Follow me and my great guests on this promising journey. Welcome, everyone. It's another round of Business Biome podcast talks going on today. And I'm very excited to have Paulo Santos today with me. He's based out of Portugal. He loves music. This is something we uh, really have in common. He plays the electric guitar. I play the drums. So maybe one day we're going to do something together. Would be great. Yeah, he was with Pandadoc uh, in the past as well as Uh, with Moloni has a very strong sales background, but moved into uh, partnerships and, and partner management. And we're going to talk about that today. Pretty excited about that. And currently he's working at UserCentrics, a constant management platform for websites and apps. I think we all are familiar with the cookie consents and everything around, uh, for example, the, the GDPR that is needed. So we're going to touch base also on that. UserCentrics is used on over 900,000 websites in 180 plus countries. Those are pretty high numbers. And uh, I would say, let's start. Welcome, Paolo. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to our chat today and uh, the conversation and the questions we touch base in a second. So let's directly start with you and your background. Um, you have a very strong sales background and um, I invite everybody to check out your LinkedIn profile, which I will link down there in the podcast description. And how did you personally start with partnerships and how did you move over to partner management? Cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. Um, so as you mentioned, my, I started in sales uh, throughout my career. At some point in time, I moved into the IT world, uh, into an IT consultancy company. And I think that was probably the start, not directly into partnerships, but probably um, the first glimpse of how it would disclose in the future. Because it, it was not traditional sales cycle. I was uh, at an IT consultancy company doing a business management role where I work with huge enterprise companies, uh, you know, tackling projects either turnkey projects or outsourcing services. So it was kind of like a more long-lasting relationship, not much like a short sales cycle where you would deploy a solution and there set it and leave it. 
So uh, you would work with these partners on the long term. Uh, but like the first, my the, the pivotal moment in my career where I transitioned into partnerships was uh, when I joined Milani. Um, and at the time, one of the founders reached out like the, 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 the way that I entered that company was, hey, we have some partners that we need to work with. Like we don't have anything like structured in place, uh, but I need someone that can help me um, work with these partners. And this is like the traditional startup setup. <laughs> you have two founders. One is more tech savvy. The other one is more like business side of things. So yeah, so it was like the, 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 the challenge was, um, was very interesting. It was a, you know, a fast growing company at the time, smaller, but, but it was pacing very well. And, and so I've joined the company and assumed the role of partnerships there, but I didn't have, there was nothing there, there was no one in the past with the partnership (laughs) title or, you know, tackling partnerships officially. So there was a lot to do. Uh, We had integration partners. Uh, this was a, a billing software, so a lot of integrations with e-commerce and, and other platforms that customers used. So w- there was a lot to do with onboarding these partners, making sure they were on track towards success and in integrating with our product. Uh, and then on the other side, we had partners that want to refer and wanted to uh, bring customers to our product. Here in Portugal, they were mostly, um, I would say, uh, accountants business consultants, a lot of web development agencies. So we, we kind of start also building the path of what an affiliate and a reseller program is. But all of this was mostly, I would say, based out of gut feeling, intuition. I didn't have anyone, I didn't have any coach, any mentor. As a side note, uh, Portugal, it didn't have, and I think even today, doesn't have like a strong tradition in partnerships within the B2B SaaS world, right? Like the US, when you look at the other side of the pond, this has been something that has been going out for quite a while. But here, I I think there was not this sense of community or or even the roles itself inside these companies, Portuguese companies. I'm not saying like the big software houses here in Portugal, like Microsoft or Cisco uh, or other big ones that were here that were on the global level, but let's breaking it down to a, a local market it was not common to have partnership people in these companies. Um, so it was kind of like trailblazing while looking outside of, okay, what other companies from my industry with similar products in other countries are doing? Uh, more on the go-to-market approach, not exactly from a product management perspective, because we didn't have vis- visibility on how they were managing their partnership programs. We were just seeing how they were marketing basically their partnerships. So it was a lot of trial and error okay. <laughs> and learning along the road. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds really like oh, what you touched base on was starting with an empty piece of paper and then building the whole thing in evolutionary steps, bringing in additional partner types, building the structures, the processes needed, uh, the marketing material, I guess. And I also assume that you brought these experiences into user centrics um, and uh, in, into your current role as a senior partner development manager. Let's let's touch base a little bit on user centrics. What is user centrics about in, I don't know, two to three sentences? And then what kind of partner types uh, do you have at user centrics do you work with? And 
why? Okay. <laughs> so here at user centrics, basically our ultimate vision is to build a world where privacy, where user privacy enables a thriving digital ecosystem, because we're ultimately, we think that these two things can go hand in hand, protecting user privacy. And while on the same, on the same mission, enable a thriving digital business ecosystem uh, where, where companies can fully embrace data privacy and, and, and you know, build trust with their consumers, basically. So here, uh, we, we, it's a consent management platform for websites and apps. So we help businesses that have a digital footprint, like a website, to document, collect, and manage uh, user consent to be compliant with global data privacy laws, such as GDPR, as you mentioned, but not just that, like CCPA and uh, this year, in particularly uh, in the U.S., we're seeing a lot of state-level legislations coming up. So, uh, and globally, it's an inevitability, right? Like global data privacy uh, regulations are getting more stricter and growing uh, from country to country. So, there's no turning back on this. So, we help basically businesses handle these consent requirements that the, the data privacy regulations uh, imply. From a partnership perspective, uh, we kind of today here at User Centrics, we have, I would say, three motions going on from a partnership perspective. So on the first, and I'll briefly describe what, what we're doing here from, uh, from a motion perspective. We have our reseller and referral partners, which are, you know, ultimately businesses that solve business problems for the users um, and guide them through implementations uh, and help them to optimize the consent management experience. And we're talking about agencies uh, such as digital agencies, web development agencies, marketing agencies, legal consultants, uh, because, you know, this topic is so broad, you know, like it touched so many areas inside a company from marketing to development to legal that you do need to have a lot of partners within different types of expertise to help customers with implementations. So we have the reseller and referral partners. Then we have solution partners, uh, which is kind of uh, um, other platforms that have joint value propositions, like think about data analytics, ad fraud bot detection, data subject access requests, data mapping, you know, other platforms that exist in the market that have a complementary um, value proposition with user centrics that we can jointly go to market and, and you know, tackle specific verticals, specific customers. So we, here is more about, I, I would say more from a co-selling perhaps perspective. That doesn't mean that there's that needs to be a product integration on the back. That's why we have platform partnerships. That's the team where I, here, at the, particularly at user centrics where I'm more, most focused at, which is we, take our product uh, and we work with other platform partners in a scalable way to enable businesses to have a privacy compliant, a privacy compliant website using our technology uh, through integration. So we're talking about like website builders, CMS, e-commerce platforms. Um, and we, we've been doing some very exciting projects with some pretty interesting companies, but not just limited to that. We have a lot the legal tech space, which is thriving. We have a lot of awesome companies, particularly in Germany, great partners like Trusted Shops. Um, and we've been also doing some really great uh, work with them. 
but this is more from a product standpoint, right. so mm-hmm. to say. And that's it. You know, like these cover as you as you kind of figure out. Like it covers different types of partners, which have different types of roles and impact the customer in different way, uh, which is kind of interesting because it's such a broad dance topic when we talk about data privacy and consent that we in fact need these partners to work with us and the customers. Yeah, I was just uh, checking out some of the partner integrations and uh, the overall partner section on your website. Um, And I really like that you uh, address the different uh, partner types specifically based on their needs, based on yeah, the, their specific value proposition to to join your ecosystem and to to partner with you, as well as addressing also the client's needs, um, and to state the clear message: okay, you get kind of an end-to-end help through us, and uh, you don't need to talk to I don't know twenty different parties. Since we have the integrations there, we have the consultants there, we have. Uh, maybe some lawyers, some agencies that that can help you. So it's really um, a broad set of different partner types that address the client's needs from end to end, which I, I really like. Yeah, nicely put. Yeah, completely. And if you think about it, if we we're thinking about particularly in SMBs, you know, like a single entrepreneur or a small company, they don't have the time, neither the resources to tackle such a it can be a complicated topic such as data privacy and consent, right? So they need uh, some expertise and by building uh, an ecosystem around not only the, the topic of data privacy and consent, but also our product itself enables everyone to benefit from it, you know? And ultimately it's all about creating the best possible experience for our customers. That's the ultimate goal, right? For us, for our partners, that's why we're all in the game. We want the customer to feel the best possible experience possible by using our product and by working with partners that know our solution from A to Z. Uh, and that's that's something very interesting, even from the past that I've seen working with partners. Like I, I've met partners that know our products mm-hmm. better than ourselves. <laughs> like even when, when we're going into the agency level, of they're the ones on the field implementing the solutions, right? So they know this. They know every single detail on real case scenarios. It's not just like conceptually we're talking, hey, our product is a better fit for this persona, that persona, this type of company, that type of company. And we know this, but like they're on the ground. They're taking this and implementing this on the workflows of those customers uh, and seeing the real bottlenecks that they face. So they know this, the ins and outs of how to successfully implement the product. So I think the it's it's good for the customer that can benefit from such a, you know, thriving ecosystem. Yeah, I I love that. Um since you you stated kind of the three dimensions that there are advantages for you as as kind of the orchestrator. Um there are advantages for the partners because they can rely on on your tech on your expertise, on on your know-how. And the third dimension is the clients, of course, because what I always say is that that ecosystems are created around problems too complex to solve alone. So it's not possible for a single company or it it wouldn't be very wise for a single company 
to solve all the problems because it's we still are in in the position lack of resources lack of know-how um then a client wants to have a solution by today kind of not in 12 months or 24 months but pretty soon so it's hard to address the the client's needs by yourself and one thing that i also like that you highlighted is the agencies are at the very front they talk to the clients so for you what i heard is it's a source of of know-how it's a source of requirements it's a source of what works well what doesn't so it's not like hey here's our solution um good luck with that but i guess it's really a constant communication and and feedback loops that you've established and maybe you can give a little bit more more insights into what you're doing there yes 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 for sure like uh and i'm not just mentioning here at users since like from my whole background in partnerships uh Agencies always assume very important role to that point that you're mentioning, uh, right? They, they, they've come back with very valid feedback of what is working, what's not working, what also customers are are actually facing, and you know, even at Maloney, a big part of what the product is today uh, came through partners uh, by suggestions that partners made by involving partners in our, let's say, product roadmap building, uh, to some extent, uh, you, today we have some companies that do partner councils where you have you know, partners that are brought in to advise on more strategic decisions, maybe from a, from a product level, but we kind of did that informally. Uh, and even at Bandadoc, I think in every company that I've worked, the partner's feedback is super crucial uh, for us. And then it's up to us as a partner team to digest this feedback that comes through partners and take this into good hands internally and make sure you are a good advocate of driving that message internally. So uh, it's, it's, it also you know, highlights the importance of what we do internally has a focal point to other areas of the company, product, sales, marketing. Uh, and we kind of play, you know, take this role as being a bridge between the partner, which is ultimately also the voice of the customer, or you know, they, they could advise us on, hey, if you're trying to tackle this specific market or enter this specific country, uh, you need to do this. Um, so we, we kind of assume that role internally of driving that message and being an advocate of the partners to have it done, basically. Uh, and, and this is very important because if you're thinking about like, for instance, entering a new country, a new market, uh, who better than partners to help you on that? They're there. They know the reality. They know what the customers are facing and they know what customers want. You can do surveys, you can do, you know, a lot of discovery testing, whatnot, and yada, yada. But like, they're there. Um, you should respect their, their, their feedback. So I think overall, throughout the time, not uh, mostly agencies, but not just agencies. I think partners play a very important role in the definition and the evolution of your products. Um, and if you do that, you also f make the partners feel part of your of your overall strategy, right? Because they are. <laughs> and this is literally placing the partner as as in the center of your strategy uh, and partnerships in the center of your strategy. It's not just like a... a go-to-market uh, strategy from a sales and marketing perspective, but also, and sometimes people forget about this, the product side of things. 
which I think partnerships have a saying on this, how the product evolves. And having partnerships in the core of the product evolution, I think that's, uh, that's a, a very sweet spot to be in. I hope everybody heard that. Um, what you also said uh, at the very beginning, uh, that the product, the value of the product came through partners or was delivered primarily through partners. That's such a, a valuable statement and such an important statement because they are not somewhere far out of your uh, company building um, or your client base. And you, you uh, repeated that, that uh, at the, the end, they are at the very center. They are the very core of being successful. And it's so important to pull them in to get their feedback, their requirements, their needs, so that the orchestrator, in that case, user centrics can also address their needs and make the partners happy at the end of the day. Because happy partners means happy clients and vice versa. <laughs> and that means that we're all happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why we're all here, right? Uh, unless I'm missing something, it's because of them, the customers, that we're all here. Like, and I think sometimes people can forget that because it's easy to forget that when you're sucked in into so many things that you have to address uh, for us in partnerships, right? Um, you have to work with the partners, have to, you know, get internal buy-in, you have to, you know, uh, make reporting for, for, for your leadership, you have to do this. You're like, ultimately, who are we here to help? Yeah, Customers, exactly. Right? Like, they're the ones. So I think it's always, sometimes it's always important to get back to basics, let's say, <laughs> so to say. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> true. Um, so one thing that I saw on your website is um, that is a statement that says our programs support you in building new business models. And for many people, it's really hard to believe that new business models can be created with partners, through partners, complementary to your own one, maybe complementary to their bis existing business model. Do you have some some examples where that happened? Would be great to to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, we kind of already scratched the surface on this uh, as we were talking before about the agencies, uh, and I'll take like I'll take the agencies and the consultant part of it uh, as an example too. Here, uh, you know, these services and these implementation services and and let's say legal advising services that can build on top of our product is in fact, a way to build new business models uh, around a specific product like, like user-centric. So we have uh, digital agencies, legal advisors, you know, legal consultancy companies that do build service and market services attached to our product. So this was something that perhaps didn't exist at their company. And when a product like ours uh, entered the market, they could, you know, piggyback, let's say, Uh, so to say, on top of these products to also grow the type of offering that these companies can, um, you know, place to, to customers. So I would say the agencies and consultancies and the services that can build on top of not only our product, but the overall consent topic and the data privacy uh, space is, in fact, a, a good example. Uh, but also, the, the I was talking about our solution partners and how platforms can jointly create um, value propositions and tackle specific 
let's say, verticals, or even specific key account companies, uh, accounts that, you know, they want to uh, lock in. Uh, and this is also something that you can, you know, build, so to say, uh, by working with 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 a company like UserCentrics, and lastly, from uh, I would say from an integration and product standpoint, which is what I'm more familiar with here, uh, how you can basically embed consent as part of your product of and cookie consent as part of your product offering, like the the, the integrations that we've been doing with our partners, um, where basically they integrated our product in such a way that they have it uh, inside their own. Um, subscriptions and inside their own uh, offering for customers, uh, creating not only a valued add offering from a product standpoint, but also creating uh, some sometimes upgrade triggers for, for customers. Hey, you also want to have access to consent banner for your website through us, then you need to upgrade into our XYZ package to get access to this. And we have partners doing incredible work on this. So this is literally how you build new business models by working uh, with with a partner, and is literally the one plus one equal three um, type of philosophy here. Yeah, that that reminds me. I think it was the recording with Justin Zimmerman, uh, where he said, "Where the integration ends, the partnership begins," and that's what what you were talking about. Then you have like the foundation to build new things on, on top of that, like upselling possibilities, value-added services uh, around, in that case, user-centrics and, and the piece of tech uh, and the solution that you provide. So it's, yeah, the, the, the tech part, again, is a starting point, um, but there's so much more that can be achieved. Um, but what... But I'm some, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm a bit sad that people stop there, that, that businesses stop there. They don't think any further. They have the integration. They maybe do some, some reselling of the licenses and that's it. They don't leverage the full potential from my perspective. Yeah, I think that's, that's where we kind of uh, found a, a clear path. Obviously, this was built throughout the, the time, but... Uh, that that really worked and resonated with also with the partners, and we have several success stories of how this is being actually implemented in real world. Um, so for for me for me it's uh, coming out of partnerships uh, background. It's 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 very exciting to see like the pinnacle of how, what a product partnership uh, can look like, and this is not only. And completely like you're saying, you know, going way above what's just a, a product integration, but seeing how two companies can work together on building new business models that are, um, you know, relevant and and that have proven outcomes for 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 both ends. So it's it's very exciting to see this, and even from a from a user journey perspective, from a customer perspective, I think it's very cool when you can have all the tools you need are uh, provided in a single platform in a seamless way uh, without having to, you know, jump around and, you know, go to platform A, platform B, platform C. It's there. You have everything that you need and you can just go. Uh, and, and like, once again, like the, the example here, uh, like perhaps like 
trusted shops where they have uh, our cookie, uh, cookie consent offer in their legal package, uh, with, along with a, a bunch of services that you can um, get from from trusted shops. It's it's a very clear example of, I would say the 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 perfect maturity state of what an integration can look like from a user perspective. Yeah, and and one thing I w I want to make crystal clear is, and you you mentioned that. It's an evolution. You you didn't start with a full package that we now see on the website and, and in the market. And that's also something that, that Uc from Personio, that's the episode that, that will be released today, stated. He was like, we, we had the strong focus on the tech portion. We wanted to start, we wanted to learn, but now it's the time to think beyond that, um, to look into new business models, to in, into new use cases we can jointly address. And that's a, a statement I, I, I want to make for the, the listeners of the podcast, the audience. Uh, don't look into what's currently there, the, the whole big package. Everybody started with, like we initially said, uh, with most probably with an empty piece of paper. But you have to start to make progress. It's not about planning, planning and slides and slides uh, for weeks and, and months. It's really about, yeah, jumping into cold water and start with the very first partners and uh, work on your own strategy and align that with the strategy of the, the potential partners. Yeah, there's a word. I will add a word for that. Execution. Exactly. It's about execution. <laughs> execution. And totally, totally agree with you. Like, looking back, it's small tap, small steps, incremental steps, but do execute, do test, do try it out. If you fail, if you, you know, it's not, it's not working, it's okay. But you, you did test that and you will learn as you go and you will iterate as you go. I think that's the important message and you highlighted very well. Uh, which we need to get out of the conceptual level of the strategy part and, you know, the the whole conundrum of reports and forecasts and whatnot, but and, and actually execute something and try to test it out. Even, you know, we do that as we go. Like, I think we're at the, with, at, here at UserSense, we probably had a, a very interesting maturity stage from a partnership perspective, uh, but we're still learning as we go. Like, this is not a, a written book. So to say, uh, we're we're writing it as we go, and sometimes we need to rewrite something, some some, some things, uh, because we we hey, this is perhaps not the way to go, uh, but let's test it out and see if it works, and and if it works okay, if it doesn't work, why did it not work? Take some learnings, do a step back, and then implement a different strategy. But I, to I totally agree with you. I think that's a very important piece of message that people need to account for when they're. Uh, building partnerships. I had to to write that down, the analogy with writing the book and rewrite some chapters of it. But the importance is to actually write the book and not look at the cover and think about, oh, how cool it could be and how, uh, yeah, we, we, we could come up with cool things and success stories. It's really about getting the, the pen in your hand and start writing the, the chapters. Uh, love, love this one. More, like my philosophy right now is what is the low hanging fruit that I can take to create impact, both for me, for my, for my team and for my company. Uh, and I think that's, that's some, like, sometimes we overcomplicate things 
kind of need to deconstruct things. How can we create sh short time impact by leveraging all the low hanging fruits we can take to execute something and test it? Because if you execute something, you prove some value, even if it's you know not that much because it was a small project that you deployed. It's something that you just time to test out. But you, you kind of have a, a measurement point that you can then take to your leadership and say, hey, we test this out. I think we, we can do, we have this results coming out of this initiative that we do. So if we did this this way, if we have more investment, if we do this in the more amplified way, we expect to have uh, a bigger footprint or a bigger outcome. So it's, 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 uh, sometimes it's a little bit about this. So it doesn't matter if hey, let's build this gigantic, massive thing because we're looking at massive companies like, I don't know, I, I love HubSpot. Like HubSpot is a great model on everything, but like, you know, we cannot compare like a startup with 20 people with a company like Start, like HubSpot, you know, they, they're at, we're in totally different maturity stages. Uh, but, but we can take some learnings of that. But don't try to build something like gigantic or overthink things, uh, you know, just hit the road. And learnings will come and you'll pivot. You'll feel frustrated sometimes. You'll be happy other times. Uh, but the good thing is that you always will learn something out of it. At least I did. So talking about the learning and, and measuring things, um, this is also one question I think I, I had almost in every podcast recording so far. Which metrics are important to you in order to, to track the health of, of your ecosystem and in order to improve and uh, learn about new opportunities is there a couple of them that that did you want to share with us and are able to share with us you know i think overall uh you know apart from the standard kpis but revenue is a topic for everyone right we're all in here to make some <laughs> of it eventually <laughs> and also obviously you know like the average contract value of 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 Customers coming through partners, the the time to close coming to partners. You know, we can talk about conversion, and then you can go into deep more about I don't know product adoption metrics from customers that can refer through partners. There's a lot of stuff that you can look into um, to assess the performance of how your customers uh, are behaving that come through partners. But for me, in tech partnerships, I would say. Nowadays, one of the probably the coolest metric that I've seen from the health of my closest ecosystem is when I have partners coming to us asking okay. mm -hmm. if how they can increase the feature set of their integration. You know, what else can they build? Hey, because this is uh, the perfect uh, example of they're seeing success on these integrations because customers are using them are asking for more, they're seeing the value. So if they come to you and say, hey, we have, we started with this integration, but we, we want to grow this into something bigger. So this is the perfect example of, hey, this is working, right? Because if it's not working, you better be sure that they, they're not going to come banging on your door asking for more, right? So if you start seeing um, from a product standpoint that integrations are uh, getting more robust, more complete, more extended. It's, it's also a synonym that uh, there's value there both for customers and partners. And also, I would say the pinnacle of the health of my ecosystem is when you have partners saying, hey, for X dollars I'm spending on this, I'm getting Y in return. Like that's ultimately 
the best metric that you could get because you know that there's money on the table and partners are taking their hand on that. Uh, and they're actually getting return on investment on this partnership, on the integration, on the work that we do, uh, apart from the integration, like on the co-marketing level and all the, 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 the other, um, the other uh, initiatives that we, we kind of drive. So I think these, particularly the, on, on tech integrations and from my role in particularly, I think these are the two coolest, uh, so to say, KPIs, let's not call it a KPI, but I would say like a, an indicator of the health of the relationship with the partner. And obviously, one thing that I do like about partnerships and I'm passionate about is the rippling effect of partnerships. And that's something that I've seen throughout the years, which is also related to the health of your ecosystem. When, when, you, when you're able to success, successfully build a partnership, there's this rippling effect. And if you do things correctly, that will come back to you. You'll get more partners interested in working with you because they've seen success of you working with X company and they also want to replicate that model. And sometimes, this is a big learning that I have to apply. Uh, a partnership can unlock a myriad <laughs> of gigantic yeah. partnerships. And I've seen that specifically at Maloney uh, with some very, very strategic uh, partnerships that we closed here in Portugal and that unlocked a whole new world of very important partnerships for the company. Still today, I think uh, I've let the company a year and something ago, and I see some partnerships being launched that there are kind of like the rippling effect of those partnerships that we launched back in the days. So I think that's, that's very cool when you see this ecosystem, like this flywheel, you know, it, it, it's hard to get the flywheel rolling at the beginning, but when you, once you reach that point of the flywheel starts spinning, it never stops because it's, you know, it keeps coming, it keeps coming, it keeps coming. And, and your awareness and your positioning in the market um, keeps growing from a partnership standpoint. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the rippling effect. One thing leads to another. So I think that's a very, when you, when you start feeling this rippling effect, I would say that's a good indicator that you're in a good spot in terms of ecosystem health. Yeah, great that, that you brought up uh, the flywheel effect term because that was immediately in, uh, in my mind. And you can, you can see that currently, for example, also uh, out there with Tesla and their charging standard, where now the first um, US uh, automotive uh, companies also jump on that standard and the second followed and the third followed and the fourth followed. So it's something that you can, that, that is hard to stop. And I expect the very same, or I hope that this will uh, also be, be seen with Bosch Rexroth. Uh, they, they are in the manufacturing industry and they brought up uh, a whole tech stack where you can build applications on, on top of their um, tech stack. And now there is kind of the, the first competitor that said, it doesn't make sense to build something similar by ourselves, takes way too much time. Um, and we have the, the client requests plus growing the very same ecosystem with the app builders and then ISVs and partners, solution partners out there is also a, a big effort. So we jump on the very same tech stack. And I hope that 
to stick to that example, that more uh, incumbents will realize that so that the same effect starts, like you were just mentioning, that flywheel. Because at the end, it's a big, big value for the end clients. Um, period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not adding anything more. You, you said it all. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, you can see the, uh, what I realize is, and that's also something the, the audience needs to hear, there is no excuse. There is nothing like, oh, we are in a different market because of this and this and that. It doesn't work in our market or in our niche. There are too many examples out there in kind of every market and in every niche that that flywheel effect can happen if you invest in it. Like you said, it doesn't happen when you wait there uh, for partners and, and people uh, knocking on your door. It's an investment, firstly. Um, yeah. And adding, adding, building on top of your what you're saying, it's, it's, it's totally an investment and it's a long run. So don't rush into things. I think that's... Also, one of the learnings that I've got from partnerships so far, don't try to rush things. It will not work for anyone. So it's a long game. These, these, when we're talking, even when we're talking about more strategic level partnerships, these can take years to build uh, with a lot of setbacks in between. Uh, so it's, it's playing literally the long game uh, and you need to have the proper vision that things will happen this way. So you need to mediate expectations even internally, uh, perhaps from your executive team, from a leadership team that, hey, this is not, we're kind of like planting seeds on this uh, to collect the fruits uh, later on, but it will take some time to collect them. Uh, and, and these gigantic and the most impactful partnerships that I've built like these ones that I was mentioning to you that literally boosted this flywheel to spin faster, they took years to build. Um, and some of them at some point we were even all, oh my God, <laughs> will this actually be closed? Will, will we actually manage to get this partnership launched? Uh, because at the time we had COVID, we'd have a bunch of things in between that impacted our plans. But they actually ended up having, and luckily I had the, um, the, the proper buy-in and support from my executive team. Uh, and and that's, that's very important also. So don't try to rush things. It's a long game. You know, things like this are not built from one day to another. It takes a lot of work from a lot of people. Um, and that's also something kind of learned, uh, which is you cannot win partnerships alone right? Um, this is a full company strategy, literally. You need everyone on board uh, from sales, from marketing, from product, you know, engineering. You need everyone on your side. And we need to make sure that everyone is excited with this and excited with the possibility of us working with X or Y partner. And you need to make sure that you have everyone on board early on not at a later stage, uh, because if you just like reach out to people when you're trying to close the partnership, you know, like things can get rougher. So uh, good, a good practice, so to say, in my opinion, is to the more earlier you can have 
people in on a specific uh, partnership that you're working on uh, or a specific, you know, a project that, that you've been doing with a partner, the better, uh, because you need everyone. Uh, this is not a... This is not a solo game. You need everyone inside your company to help with this. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, so many great statements and and learnings. And to to briefly summarize it, what we've been talking about over the past forty five minutes is the importance of execution. It's so important to start and to actually make the flywheel spinning it doesn't mean that it spins and you stated that very fast at the beginning but it starts to spin and i think that's the important message then the third thing that i heard is um metrics and tracking and we learned um a couple of your uh, about a, a couple of your preferred ones um that there is some importance on that to identify opportunities and to also see where to adjust uh, things. And the fourth thing that you stated is to align the whole company. It's not only sales doing partnerships, marketing doing partnerships, tech doing partnerships. It's the whole company that needs to to jump on that track and that needs to, to be aligned on that. And um, yeah, great learnings. Is there, there anything that I forgot within the summary? No, I don't think so. I'm just going to leave a last one, which is, I've, I was kind of posting this yesterday, which is, and then taking the book analogy again, don't judge books by their cover, or you may risk missing out. And this is a big, big learning I took from partnerships, because I've judged some books by their cover in the past. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, fortunately, I have, I have a very, very particular partnership in my mind that came to be one of the most revenue impactful partnerships I've built. Uh, and if you look at it on the first glimpse, you would say, I don't think this is going to work because sometimes we, you, it's very easy to get biased on this uh, because you have a lens as a, hey, they don't have the perfect marketing. They don't have the perfect positioning, they, you know, but snap out of it. I think we need to dig a little bit deeper and not judge things uh, by what they apparently seem to be. And that's a big learning I took from partnerships and wrapping this <laughs> up. This, that's my last message here. Perfect. Paolo, thanks a lot for uh, yeah, spending the, the, the time with me today, for sharing so many learnings, um, insights, not only from user centrics, but also Uh, from your your previous uh, roles and and companies, um, I took down a couple of notes. So great! Thanks again for your time, and yeah, I think we we have we definitely have to do a second recording in the future. Um, <laughs> and I hey, feel free. Anyone feel free to reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, it's easy. Always open to riff on some partnership stuff. So feel free to connect. Perfect. I will provide the links in, in the podcast description also uh, within the LinkedIn posts. Yeah, follow the invite. It was great, Paolo, to, to talk with you. And I guess it wasn't our last uh, talk. So thanks again and wish you a great day. Thank you, Nicholas. Pleasure being here.